Tonight, we are starting a, a new series on talking about the one another's. And I know that kind of sounds a little weird, and even like the little screen up there uh, says it there, the one another's. But this summer, since it's kind of, I feel like in the summertime, it's pretty sporadic with a lot of us. Um, like, we won't have youth group next Sunday because we're getting back from the beach retreat. And then the July 2nd, the week after that, you know, maybe you're here for youth group, but maybe you're kind of gone for 4th of July weekend. And then there's a Mexico mission trip. And there's a lot of things that kind of happen in the summer vacations. So we wanted to kind of pick a series that were more topical in nature, but I also think are really important for us. And so really, the theme of, of the sermon series for the summer is this one word, if you want to kind of define it, is, is community. And so what we want to take time to, to think about, to consider, to see what God's word is calling us to do, is how, listen, how as high schoolers do we live in Christian community in a way that is honoring to God and that really has um, authenticity to it? I don't think I have to talk to many of you to know that some of your relationships, and maybe a lot of them, are pretty shallow. You have friends at school, and the things you talk about are just kind of like, blah. Like, maybe talk about school and grades or video games, but it kind of seems that it's hard to kind of learn to develop deep and meaningful relationships with people. It's hard... Especially when it comes to the church and it comes to, to youth group to make Christian friends in which we actually begin to, to lean into community with one another. And so the whole thing behind one another is to look at all the different New Testament commands of how we should treat one another. And so there's a number of them. And, and tonight we're looking at, which I think is the most important one, but a few of these in the New Testament we see are we, we're to love one another. We are to bear with one another. We are to pray for one another. We are to forgive one another. And every week we're going to take one of those and talk specifically. And and I really want this to be kind of practical in nature of what does this look like for Monday? So tonight when we talk about loving one another, when you wake up tomorrow, what does it look like for you to love one another? And so that's going to kind of be the thrust of, of what we're talking about this summer. And when I say we... I'm talking about me, uh, Blake, who you guys most of you know, and then Sarah Newell, first night at youth group, and she is uh, one of the interns for the summer. But she's a Newell, and we all know the Newells. Uh, Tim, obviously, is her older brother, and then Josh, who's been my intern in years past, is her other older brother, and Sarah will be also teaching a little bit on this. So how about before I begin, um, let me just pray for us, and we'll kind of jump in And we'll consider the first one another. Let's pray. So, Father, we ask that you would help us to have gospel lenses to understand how to live in community with one another. Lord, we are wounded in relationships. We are hurt. We are sometimes broken in the context of relationships. But, Lord, I also believe we are healed in the context of relationships. So, Father, I pray that every single person here would understand the weight and the importance of learning how to live in Christian community. Help us, Father, to be like Jesus, who did not consider his own interests, but rather the interests of others. Pray that this this talk, this sermon, be glorifying to your name. Jesus, let me pray. Amen. I'd like to argue that every single one of us is a mixed bag relationally. 
Some of you, or us, are shy and introverted, and some of us are outgoing and talkative. Some people like going uh, really deep, really quick, and sharing really deep personal stuff, and other people like to take their time and get to know people before they share something meaningful. We all, every single one of us, have different feelings towards um, being part of a big group and being even part of this group. And if I were to even put money on it, I think that at times, um, a lot of us struggle with relationships in this room. Whether we are annoyed by people, angered at people, whether we um, almost functionally ignore people. And when I say functionally ignore people, I'm not saying that you, you actively and have a reason why you ignore them, but you just kind of pass by that person. You never say hi. You never ask how they're doing. You never take the time to get to know them. And so relationally, we're all over the board, right? Like, as I just think about all of you, I, I kind of know most of you a little bit, and some of you more than others, but I know that, that we all kind of have our different strengths and weaknesses when it comes to being in relationship. Some of you here are, are ready to commit. You're ready to lean in and to have good Christian fellowship, but, but some of you are kind of like, you know what, I, don't, don't pressure me. I just want to kind of be one foot in, one foot out, right? And what I'd like to argue is that, that the relationships that we have in this room are going to be the biggest way in which the world sees the gospel. So what do we mean by that? So Mark Dever in this little book he calls The Church, right? Kind of a unique book. He says this one thing, that the church, when, when the Christian community is done right, it becomes the gospel made visible. So let me say that in a, in a more plain way. How we treat and love people in this room are going to be sometimes the only and biggest picture of who Jesus is to our unbelieving friends. If we cannot love the people of Christ, our brothers and sisters, in a meaningful way, if we are no different than the world and how other people treat one another, why would our message, why would the gospel that we believe in have any credibility? And so tonight we're talking about the, the first one another is to love one another. To love one another. And, and the hard thing about love is I can say that I love Taco Bell, yet I can also say I love my kids. I love golf the same way I love to preach. I love when it's warm outside. And I love when I have a lot of money in my bank account, right? Can anyone not say that? I don't think so. So the, the problem is that word love, we, we use that a lot. And when I kind of think about this youth group, when I think about the students who come to the Hope Community Church Youth Group, I, I actually do really believe that there is genuine relationships full of love here. I, I honestly, truly believe that. But here's the issue. I can tell Alex Olden all day long that I love him. I could tell Tyler Gibbs that I love him like a brother. I could tell all of you that I, I love you and that I'm praying for you and I'm rooting for you, but... 
if love is not well defined, it kind of can become on par with I love tacos. And I love watching golf on Sunday afternoons. And so I want us to, to look at two passages tonight of what I think loving one another should actually look like and take root. And like I said, I want this to be kind of practical in nature. So we're going to kind of go briefly into these passages and pull out some things of, of practically what does it look like for you, a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior in high school, to love other people. So the first passage is this. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. there, John chapter 15, and we're going to be starting in verse 12. John, the gospel of John, big number 15, little number 12. It says this, this is my commandment. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, by the way. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. John chapter 14 and chapter 15, I think are my favorite passages in the Gospels. And here's why. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's he's had one last night with his disciples. And so imagine if you had the supernatural ability to know when your last day on earth was going to be. Imagine if I said March 13th of 2018, you were going to die. What, I mean, what kind of things would you want to say to the people you love? What kind of things would you want to be known for? What are the, the lasting impact and influence you want to have? And this is what Jesus says to the disciples. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so if you guys were here in the fall, we studied, does anyone remember what we studied in the fall? No, not quite. Anyone? In the fall, which was last fall. Man, you guys are breaking my heart here. No, it was First John. Well, it was part of it. That was in the fall too, yeah. But we studied First John mostly. No one? Nothing? Okay, yeah, we did that too. So, First John 4, quoting off of this passage right here. And we talked about this. Jesus is giving a new command that you love one another. Now, let me say something very clear. You guys ready for this? Loving one another is the bedrock of all the other commands of how to treat one another. Here's why. If you cannot love the person next to you, if you can't love the people in this room, there is no way 
that you are going to be able to forgive them, to be gracious with them, to pray for them, to be patient. Love is the, is the primary mark of a disciple of Jesus. And so Jesus says, this, this is a new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, right? And what's fascinating is, you know, First John, and so the, the writer of John says, a new command. But is it really a new command that we love people? Didn't the Old Testament people know that, that they're supposed to love God and love people? Well, why would Jesus say, this is the command now I give you, love one another? Disciples are like, yo, time out, man. We already know that. Love one another. But here's the thing. Their idea of love was flawed. Do you want to know why? Because the disciples were racist. They, 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 they thought people who were sick, it was their fault because they had sinned. They discriminated against the women and children. They, they told Jesus to rain down Fire from heaven on the Samaritans. And so this idea of love, they, they might say they love one another. They might say they love their fellow disciple, their, their fellow friend. And they might say they love one another. But when it really, really came down to it, did they love people? No. And so here's the thing with love. If we have a bad definition of love... If we use love just so passively and flippantly, it becomes meaningless. So Jesus helps us with that. He says, I give you a new command. And why is it new? Why is the command that Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you? Because this is why. Jesus has so radicalized and re-heightened love. He has defined it so broad, so deep, so heightened that none of us can really understand how to love one another well until we realize how he has loved us. So Jesus says, hey, if, if you want to, to be my disciple, if you want to bear much fruit, this is what you have to do. You have to love one another as I have loved you. I, I, I struggle to, to try to communicate this point, but, but this is what I'm trying to comes to you. Jesus desires that your love for one another be the defining characteristic of who you are as a Christian. Let me say that a different way. God is not interested if you know a lot about the Bible. God is not interested if you have perfect attendance at church and youth group. The primary way that God wants you to demonstrate your life as a follower of Jesus is this. You love one another. You love one another. Look really quick at the top of uh, chapter 15, John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and the Father, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word I've spoken to. Jesus is saying this. Hey, listen, if you're my disciple, you are, I, I am the vine. I'm, I'm like the thing that's holding all together, and you guys are the branches. But you know what? If you don't bear any fruit, that's what's going to happen. You're going to be cut off and thrown into the fire. So he's saying, bear much fruit. I, I want you to bear much fruit. And so the way we do that, we, we remain and we abide in Jesus. 
But what does that look like? What does the fruit look like when we abide and remain in Jesus? What does the characteristic look like for us to be in Christ? You ready for it? I said a lot. Love one another. Love one another. So, do me a favor now. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. Here comes the real conviction. It wasn't already convicting enough. First Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read the whole, uh, the whole chapter here. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all away, I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Here it is, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As far as prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease as for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face, now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. I had a friend who I worked at a Christian camp. He told me that the, the woman he was going to marry was going to be the woman who told him that her favorite passage was 1 Corinthians 13. And so I would literally hear him go up to girls at camp and say, Hey, so what's your favorite Bible passage? I'm like, subtle, man. Just looking for the one girl. I don't even care. Like, I don't think he cared what she looked like, who she was, that she was dating someone. It's like, if you answer 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to marry you. And it's a popular passage, right? I remember at my own wedding, we read this, and there was even a song that was about this chapter. But let me, let me, let me ask you guys a question for a second. Let me ask you a question. In the context of loving one another, can you honestly say that when we consider those who we know to be Christians, that you love them as Jesus loves them. Listen, listen, listen. This includes your parents, your siblings, the people sitting right next to you, the people in this room. Can you honestly say that you desire to love them as Jesus loves them? Now here's where we're tempted to say, yeah, I think so. I think so. But let's look at this list. Look at verse 4. Love is patient and kind. What's today? What's today? All right. No. That's not the right answer. Today is Father's Day. Today is Father's Day, right? So I think today, day of all days, 
you know, we, we try to be a little bit more patient and kind to our dads, right? We might post like a nice little selfie with our dad on Facebook and say, I'm so grateful for you. I think you're the best. But like, rewind like a week ago. Was there patience and kindness? Love does not envy or boast. So when it comes to other relationships, it's really hard when I, when I hear someone say that they only studied for 10 minutes and got an A, and I studied for four hours and got a C. I'm just thinking, must be nice. Good for them. It is not arrogant. Guys, listen, love, love is not arrogant. You know what that means? It means that, that love is not boastful. It doesn't seek to, to make me the, the issue. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not ir- irritable or resentful. Gosh, man, I'm sorry. If you just applied this to almost like every American family, this is like, this is convicting, right? Because how many of us hold things over our parents or our siblings' heads? Hey, you remember three months ago when you said this one little thing when you were really mad? Yeah, I remember that. Hey, remember yesterday when you da-da-da-da-da? Well, now it's my turn, da-da-da-da. Do you see how we, we, we talk and we respond to people? It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. I mean... I don't know what rejoicing means for you, but I, I, I definitely know that most of the things that we watch on TV glorify sin. And we just jump right on that bandwagon with it. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is, what I, this is what I'm trying to get at, guys. Listen. We fail at love frequently and daily. Some more than others. But let me, let me be very clear. Let me be very clear. If, if you want to see just how fragile your love is for other people, compare your life to this list. Compare your life to this list. Listen, it is really easy for me to one day, when things are going right, when, when I feel like I'm communicating well with my wife or with someone I work with, <clears throat> to, to be cordial, to be nice, to go to my way. But the second something gets miscommunicated, the second one of my rights gets taken away, the second I feel like someone has done something against me that causes me more work or time or energy, I begin to become resentful. I think, I think one of the most convicting things out of this list is, is love keeps no records of wrong. So this is what I want to say, guys. If you take this list and you simply say, okay, this week I'm going to be patient, I'm going to be kind, I'm going to try to you know, not hold resentments against my little brother, even though he's a brat and I hate him, but this week I'm going to do better. And you know, even though my mom, she drives me crazy sometimes, I'm just going to try really hard to love one another. I think we missed the, the point. Does anyone know what the Greek word for love in this passage is? If you're a Christian kid, maybe you know this. Yeah. Agape. Agape. 
Agape, listen to this. One commentator says this. Agape denotes above all a stance or attitude which shows itself in acts of will as regard with respect and concern to the welfare of others. Let me simplify that a little bit. Agape love is all about having a heart and an attitude of where I put the welfare of others above myself. Do you know what agape love says? You guys ready for this? Agape love says, it's not about me. You guys ready for this? Are you ready for this? In the Christian life, you need to realize this. It's not about you. It's not about whether or not that was fair, what your parents did. It's not about whether that person, well, I'm not going to talk to that person. They don't want to talk to me. It's not about, well, why am I going to forgive them? They're the one who did something bad against me. It is is looking to the other person and is saying, what can I do for your welfare? And this commentator goes on to say this. Agape love, therefore, is profoundly Christological. For the cross is the paradigm, or it is the lens in which we understand that the welfare of others is above our own interest. So let me summarize what I'm saying here. True love for one another is always seen through the lens of Christ himself. Why? Because look at this list. Has the Lord been patient and kind with us? Has the Lord had anything to envy or boast about? Is, is the Lord arrogant? Is, is, is Christ rude to us? Does, does Christ insist on his own way? Is Jesus himself irritable or resentful? Does Jesus, does, does he rejoice at wrongdoing? Does Jesus give us grace upon grace upon grace every time? Absolutely. And so the bedrock for how we are to live in Christian community and loving one another always stems by how we see Christ loving us. Let me me just really try to communicate this to you. You will never have good and healthy relationships in life until you learn to realize how much Christ has loved you when you didn't deserve it. And when Christ's love fills you up, you can then have the capacity to overflow into other people's lives in which you learn to realize this one really important thing, that it's not about you. Can I make this one more observation? When Christ said, if you want to be my follower, pick up your cross and follow me. When Paul says that for the Christian you were to die to yourself, let me, can I make one observation? They meant it. Being a Christian is a day-to-day operation of where I die to myself and I learn to put the interests of others before me. It is where I learn to care when I come to youth group about how so-and-so is doing and how can I encourage them, how can I forgive them, how can I pray for them. All of these one another's that we'll see the rest of the the rest of the summer. All of this stems when I realize what Christ has done for us. 1 Corinthians 13 is not a list to, to make us feel weighted down by, but it is a list to help us remember just how important Christ's love for us is. And when we remember that love, it is when we will learn to love one another well.
So lastly, let me say this. If we are not specific with our definition of love, I think it will run us into the same problems that we face now. Artificial, superficial, shallow relationships. But if I learn to be specific, and I think of one, specific, one person specifically and say, how can I love this person well? What is the Lord calling me of how to love them? I think then we can learn to see how loving one another becomes something that's actually challenging to do. So that's what I want to do with you guys right now, okay? We're going to do a little experiment. I'm going to pass out these flashcards right here. And I'm going to give you guys like two to three minutes. But here's what I want you to do. You can try to cover up so people don't spy on what you're reading. But here's what I'd like you to do. I would like you to list down three people in your life. And three people, hopefully, that you kind of see on a regular basis, people who you're really in relationship with. And I want you to write down three, uh, one specific way this week of how to love this person. And so if you want, you can even look through the list of 1 Corinthians 13, and you say, you know what, this week I'm not going to hold um, any resentment towards this person. That's how I'm going to love this person. So write down three people in one specific way of how we can show that person Love. And in a couple of minutes, when we're done with this, Riley's going to come up and lead a few songs. So go ahead and uh, take one down, pass it around type of a thing. We'll get these going.